Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And just like that, we're back. Another edition, the Thursday morning, January 21st, the year of our Lord, 2021 edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate, wall-to-wall Q&A this morning, and you might as well cue up the Sarah McLaughlin music in Knoxville, Tennessee, because I am getting inundated with ultra-sad, ultra-depressed, ultra-reaching-out-for-any-kind-of-comfort-and-positivity-whatsoever Tennessee emails and I can't necessarily tell you that I've got a lot of it to dish out this morning, but I guess at least the gravity of the situation is starting to come into effect. It's one of those deals where, weirdly, after something bad happens, you maybe feel a little more comfort because at least you know what the bad is instead of having to deal with the unknown. Now, the part B there is maybe you're not there yet as a Tennessee fan because maybe there's still a lot of unknown left to happen. What in the world are we talking about? Well, I'll get into it in just a second. So we've got a whole lot to go over. Remember, the way to get in touch and the way to submit your questions is email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter and DM me there, at LateKickJosh. Some of you try on Instagram. I don't check my Instagram inbox quite as frequently as those other locations, so I always encourage you to follow me on Instagram. I, I don't know. I may even take it a little more seriously if we add some followers over there. So it's uh, Late Kick Josh on Instagram, too. And just a little quick production note as we dive in. As I suspected, from the last podcast, I always get feedback on the podcast. And from the last one we did, I probably got about 10 to 1 positive ratio to the storm chasing story relative to any other college football topic or question we hit on that morning. So what did we learn there? Well, what we learned is, number one, a properly told weather story appeals to everyone because everyone understands weather. Everyone's impacted by weather. Number two, having said that, have no fear. This is never going to be one of those podcaster shows where slowly I started it off under the pretenses of college football, but then it evolves into me talking about random nuanced issues that I really care about more. No, it won't be that. It'll always be college football. It's just when we get to the off season, we got a little time to sprinkle in some added flavor. So it's a Q&A. I take it where you guys want to go. A number of you hear me hint around and kind of make little side comments sometimes about storm chasing. So occasionally you ask me about it. Hey, believe it or not, there are other things, maybe even more dangerous in my life you could ask me about. I will offer no further hints. You'll just have to guess correctly. All right, let's get into the podcast this AM. I've got a palpable hue of misery out of Tennessee. So a lot of people are just reaching out and they're saying, please help anything you can do. Help. So let me read you an example of the kinds of questions I'm getting from Tennessee fans over the past 24 to 48 hours. I'll kind of reset the scene if you don't really know what I'm talking about. A lot has happened, even since the last time that you and I spoke. So Andrew, for example, hits me up and he says, What are the odds Tennessee is even able to trot a team out onto the field next year as the number of players into the transfer portal continues to grow? That's very well put. Here's another example right before I started recording uh, who is this? This was Seth, longtime friend of the program. He said, as a Tennessee fan, is there anything you can do to talk me off the ledge? I try very hard, 
not to be reactive and not to be emotional, but this is looking really rough and tough days ahead look to be the norm. This is a dark cloud that stretches pretty far. Are there any sunbeams peeking through that you can see? What are we talking about here? Well, I'll tell you what happened. If you were out to lunch yesterday, it was inauguration day. I know a lot of attention was fragmented and scattered all over the place. Here's what was happening at Tennessee. Over the span of like an hour, and it was terribly timed because I was out driving. I didn't really have time to record anything or even so much as tweet very much about it. That's why you can hear me pulling this notebook pad out because I'm going to use it on tonight's show. There were a number of guys that entered the transfer portal, and I'm not talking about no names. I'm not talking about some guy buried on the depth chart. Over about a 20-minute span, you see Henry Toa Toa, Quiveris Crouch, uh, who else? Gray entered, uh, Jameer Johnson entered, and so Eric Gray. I uh, didn't give you the last name there. Eric Gray is the running back. I mean, that is your best defensive player, you could argue. Your best offensive player, again, you could argue. A starting linebacker and a starting tackle that entered the transfer portal. Boom, 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 boom. And it was obviously, well, it felt coordinated. I mean, I don't know how that actually went down there. But it also, it kind of gave an answer to this lingering question that had been out there. I had been doing radio yesterday, actually, over in Knoxville. And I was asked, how do you think that this year is going to fare? You know, how do you think the transfer portal could impact this? And there was a lot of question, like a lot of Tennessee fans were wondering that. Well, at the very least, you don't have to wonder anymore. That's no, that's no solace. That's no consolation because the answer was the worst possible answer. And I don't think for the record, they're done losing guys. But the answer is, there will not be very many folks sticking around there. This could not have happened at a worse time, by the way. So let's follow along here. Here's what's happening. Tennessee kind of chose to self-impose sanctions on themselves. Now, that doesn't mean the NCAA eventually wouldn't have. But, I mean, we've seen other programs in the past deal with it differently and end up getting off virtually scot-free. Tennessee did not take that route. Tennessee had an internal investigation and they informed the NCAA, and the NCAA, as far as we can tell, has kind of monitored that, and then they've got their own investigation going on. And so Tennessee gets to the conclusion, and they have a press conference. They publicly announce their findings uh, in as much detail as they can. They fire Jeremy Pruitt. Again, this is Tennessee talking. This is not the NCAA. NCAA hasn't handed down a single... They haven't even so much as delivered a notice of allegations, much less had Tennessee come to Indianapolis and answer for their um, infractions. And so right now, this is all Tennessee. They fired Jeremy Pruitt. They announced Phil Fulmer's retiring, but I can guarantee you, based on what we saw yesterday, that's not a retirement. You don't get paid half your salary over the next three years in a retirement situation. Uh, that's called that's called being allowed to retire. That's what that's called. Now, let me translate. Fired. That's what it is. Phil Fulmer got fired for all intents and purposes. And now you see the ramifications because uh, what tends to happen when the person that a lot of kids signed up to play for gets fired is they don't want to play there anymore. And here's the other downside. It's the transfer portal era now and kids have zero perceived penalty for hopping in that thing and getting out of town. It used to be that that was a very, very, very last resort. And now it's almost reactive. It's almost something bad happened. All right, I'm gone. And so one after the other, after the other, and it may not be done. They have hopped in the portal. To answer the question, the first question we had there from Andrew, I mean, certainly you're going to be able to field a team, but I will tell you the numbers are going to be very severely impacted, and it's not something you could have seen coming from a roster management standpoint. Like if we were a year ago 
and you could have seen this coming. Well, you can start to structure your roster accordingly. We didn't know this was coming a month ago. We had no clue this was really coming a month ago. And so you're not going to be prepared for this. Not that you ever really could have fully been prepared for this kind of blow, but you're certainly not going to be prepared for it now. Kevin Steele's got a lot on his plate here. That staff's going to have a lot on their plate. As for the overall ramifications here, can I offer any optimism? Well, here's the one bit of optimism. So let's try, as we might, to put on our positivity hat here for a second. What if this happens? What if the NCAA is observing this and they are looking on and they're watching these dudes jump in the portal and they're watching Jeremy Pruitt be fired and they're watching portions of the football program just be totally cleaned out and they decide, you know what? Punishment has been served there. Now, there's not necessarily precedent for what I'm saying here. It's not necessarily the modus operandi for the NCAA, but I mean, then again, I get the feeling sometimes they lick their index finger and stick it in the wind for guidance. So maybe that's how this works out. Maybe that's the hope for Tennessee is they're going to get so far out in front of it and they've involved the NCAA at every step reportedly. They get so far in front of it to where they can say, hey, look, I mean, we got rid of all these folks. We've lost a bunch of players. So that essentially is the scholarship reductions you would have dealt out bowl ban. I don't know. I mean, if they're going to hand that out or not, uh, sanctions further, any kind of probationary period, uh, show causes for coaches. I'm, I assume that probably will come for a few of them. But I think maybe the, the optimism would be the darkest days are right now. And the darkest days don't have to come with us having to wait six months or a year, and then we get sanctions handed down, and then the dark days start. So maybe you're just front-loading the dark part here, and then you start to get into the latter portions of 2021 and all the NCAA clouds in your rearview mirror instead of still on the horizon, and you can get to the business of hiring a coach. I'm of the opinion that Kevin Steele is going to be the interim coach there for quite a while, like the entire season, pretty much, and then they'll hire a coach afterwards. That's what the hope is, and I think that's why you've seen things designed in the way they have been from Tennessee's perspective. There is no guarantee it works out that way. That's why this is really risky, really risky, but they know what they're doing. I have to assume that. Next up is Kyle. He said, what is the impact of Larry Scott being replaced as the Pac-12 commissioner? Now, this was news that came out last night, and I don't think that it sent shockwaves through the college football world. It did on the administrative side. It did in the media side. Like a lot of people were talking about this, but I don't think if you're a, a fan in Kenosha, Wisconsin, you really cared all that much about seeing this headline. You, pro you may not even know about it until I just read this question. So Larry Scott is out. Uh, this is certainly no surprise. This has long been rumored to be coming at some point this year. Larry Scott is a guy who you get a lot of reaction about. There are very few people indifferent to the name Larry Scott. On one hand, there was a time not too long ago where he raised some eyebrows because he, number one, secured at the time one of the biggest media rights deals in college football. Well, now it's laughable. And the the attempt to start the Pac-12 network with no major partner backing you, that was triply laughable. Let me tell you what that essentially means. What that means is the Pac-12 decided they were going to have their own TV network, the Pac-12 network. Now, you may say, why is that laughable? There's an SEC network. Well, there's a Big Ten network. Yeah, there sure is. Think about the SEC network. When you see that logo, what do you see on it? Well, you see the SEC's logo. You see the word network. You see the brand ESPN. You see their logo there too. That's their partner. That's the infrastructure. You know, ESPN, among the things they've done historically pretty well, building 
television brands, building networks. They kind of know how to do that. They're kind of in that business. Fox is the same way in their partnership with the Big Ten Network. They kind of know what they're doing. The Pac-12 decided after they could not get a partner, after Larry Scott and company, they could not secure a media rights partner. They said, we'll just build our own network and keep all the profits. That sounds cool. That's very entrepreneurial. This is not the industry that you want to go it alone in, I can assure you. And so the Pac-12 essentially took their took their league office infrastructure and said, we're going to be a TV network. And I don't know how much this is going to shock you, friends, but what if I told you that ended up not working out? What if I told you that folks who had run a bakery all their lives decided to be a gas station and had no clue how to properly sell gas? I, wouldn't that shock you? Yeah, well, that's what's happened with the Pac-12. So the Pac-12 network's just been an unmitigated disaster. They're still largely not in any homes. I mean, those of you out there, some of you live on the West Coast and you can't find the Pac-12 network. So I can assure you, it's never been anything more than a rumor, than a faintly heard whisper in places like Atlanta or Birmingham or you know where I lived in the South my whole life. We don't even know about the Pac-12 network. And that's why it's a big, big problem. So you can't find the product. The product itself has suffered under Larry Scott. Now, some of that's under his control. Some of that's out of his control. But he went from a guy who at one point was rumored to be going after Oklahoma and Texas, and they were going to be the Pac-16 to starting the TV network. And there was a lot of optimism on the front end of that from folks who didn't know any better. To now he's a guy who is viewed as having contributed to running the Pac-12 as a conference into the ground. I don't know who in the world they're going to get. There are a lot of names. Most of them wouldn't mean anything to you guys if you're just casual fans and you don't follow the administrative side of college football. But they got to get someone out there that presses the right buttons. And to be honest with you, in a lot of cases, I don't know what those buttons are because here's what they're going to need. At this point, they're going to need the football coaches out there. They're going to need the football minds to hit some home runs or else nothing's going to matter. If you don't have a viable football product on the West Coast, this is not the University of Tennessee. Tennessee, for example, is a mess right now. Everybody still cares. If you're a mess on the West Coast, people just walk away. It's just the culture. Uh, there are a million different reasons why, but it's just the culture. So if you don't have the viable football products up and down the West Coast, it's not going to matter who the commissioner is. you got to get the right commissioner, and you have to have some things happen on the football side of things, and those things have to coincide. Like the Pac-12 is salvageable, but there is a widening gap, a, a quickly widening financial gap between the haves and then the Pac-12, which is becoming a have-not. And not only do you have to pause that trend, you have to reverse that trend. You can't just freeze the gap. you got to close the gap, and that's hard to do. In fact, as a conference, that's harder to do than one individual football program closing the gap on another football program. And even that's hard. We'll probably talk about that more for the record on Late Kick Live tonight, so make sure you're tuned in and subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel for that. All right, let's roll on. Brandon had a good one here. He said, I listened to your response on expanding the postseason, but not liking that it would come at the expense of the regular season, which I agree on. My question is, what do we have to do to get those kinds of games played in the regular season? My buddies and I like the idea of something like the SEC versus Big Ten Challenge, where you match up teams from conferences based on what their seeding was from the previous year. And all this would be, Brandon's talking about, is kind of deal where maybe you open the next season where the SEC's number one from the prior year plays the Big Ten's number one from the prior year, number four versus number four, and so on and so forth. I like the idea, Brandon. 
People will tell you this is impossible. It's not impossible at all. It's no more impossible than rapidly changing your plans on the fly from an entire college football conference perspective to be able to execute a 10-game schedule with 10% fans in the stands and mask protocols in place. Like you, you get done what you have to get done. And so if someone said, hey, let's just get this done, it would get done. There isn't as much urgency, I don't think, from the Power 5 side of things because they largely like how the current structure in place has benefited them. And so I can't say that I wouldn't be the same way if I were a commissioner of one of those conferences. But I do always think we need to be doing something to improve the viewing experience and to improve the overall competitive integrity of the sport. So this would be good. I think obviously you'd try and park it on the front end of the schedule, your first few weeks of the schedule. And I think you should give teams flexibility. You know, if you want to play in week two, do it in week two. Work it out amongst yourselves. If you want to do it in week one, do it in week one. Neutral site, home field, like, you know, give folks flexibility if they want it to be able to execute that plan. But it would be great. It would be really great. And it would add some intrigue in bowl season and at the end of the regular season for teams that are floating in the middle of the conference. Like, let's see where we're going to land. Let's see who we're going to be playing to start next year. Imagine that concept for a second. Imagine that you are a fan of Arkansas football and you're a fan of Northwestern football and you guys are watching your teams towards the end of the year and it's only after the end of the regular season that you find out who you're paired with to start the following year. Part of your schedule is hashed out at the end of the previous regular season. I think that would be a fun concept, but I'm going to tell you right now what you have to do. And it's not necessarily on your plate or my plate, but in general, What we have to have happen in college football, if you ever want teams to load up their regular season schedule, power five teams to load up their regular season schedule more than they already have in their conference slate, you're going to have to learn how to talk about wins and losses in college football. Right now, put yourself in the chair of athletic director at a major university and look around at how the postseason conversation happens. Now, right now, everyone talks about how it's so tilted towards the Power Five and it's tilted against the G5. Well, I can tell you right now, that's not how I'd view it. If I were an athletic director, that's not how I'd view it at all. Here's how I'd see it. If I'm Texas A&M, just to pick a team out of the blue, I know I have to play Alabama, LSU, uh, Auburn. I have to play an SEC schedule. I'm in the toughest division in college football. I'm not Alabama, so I have to play Alabama. And I have to play you know, the rest of the SEC's slate in that given year. Okay, that's hard. That alone is harder than any G5 schedule out there. And I haven't even talked about out of conference yet. Like if I were Texas A&M, I could schedule four Texas high schools. I kid you not. I'm not joking about this. I could schedule four high schools in the state of Texas. And as long as I'm still playing eight conference games in the SEC, my schedule is guaranteed to be harder than any G5 schedule out there. So what do I mean? Why am I making that point? Well, what I mean is If I'm Texas A&M and I know I've already got that SEC schedule I have to play and I'm watching at the end of the year and people are arguing for teams like Cincinnati to be in the playoff or Coastal Carolina to be in the playoff. And the argument is, well, they're undefeated and they won their conference. Well, let me tell you what message that sends to me. The message it sends to me is I'm looking at Cincinnati and I'm asking myself, if I'm the AD of Texas A&M, Okay, they're undefeated. Let me go see what teams they played. Well, let's see here. They played Austin P and Army, South Florida, SMU, Memphis, Houston, East Carolina, UCF, and Tulsa. And you're telling me that because they went through that undefeated, 
that garners them conversation into the national championship discussion. Like, that's what you're telling me. And so I would look at that and I would say, if all you have to do is be undefeated, if all you have to have is a goose egg in the loss column, I'm over here already having to play an SEC schedule. So I've got several teams in any given year on my schedule that may very well be tougher than the toughest opponent a G5 team has to play. Why would I voluntarily add stronger opponents on my out-of-conference schedule, giving me more opportunities to lose games? Again, if it were a situation where we properly interpret strength of schedule in these conversations and more people were smart enough to look around and say, you know, there are occasions where there could be a two- or in some cases, a three-loss Power 5 team that has a stronger resume than an undefeated G5 team, in some circumstances. If there were more smart folks in the room that were brave enough to look around and say that, well, then if I'm an athletic director, I'd say, okay, as long as you understand that, and as long as you can compensate for that, well, I'm willing to go schedule whoever you want me to. They want to play the games. It's more money, it's a better product, it's more revenue, it's more exposure. Like, everything's in the plus column. But when you're talking about the postseason conversation, as long as you're sitting here equating an undefeated Coastal Carolina team to the likes of a one-loss Texas A&M team, and you actually think that those are equal resumes, as long as you're doing that, you're giving me zero incentive to ever beef up my schedule. Because as long as you just think a loss is a loss in college football and undefeated is undefeated in college football, you don't understand what you're watching. And as long as you don't understand what you're watching, I'm not going to give you a reason to knock me just because I challenged myself. And before anyone suggests expanding the playoff would solve that problem, because then you could get A&M and Cincinnati in, you can save that. I've heard it a million times. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in any postseason format that grants an auto bid to anyone for being a conference champ. And I'm also not interested in a playoff format that allows a backdoor in just to give someone a seat at the table because it makes us feel more warm and fuzzy inside. There is no world where you should be able to play the schedule Coastal Carolina just played and be granted a playoff spot. The only reason you really, some of you really wanted them in this year is because it's a cute story and it's Coastal Carolina knowing full well if I took the aforementioned Texas A&M Aggies and somehow I had them play the following teams, Campbell, Kansas, Arkansas State, Louisiana, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, South Alabama, Troy, Appalachian State, Texas State, Brigham Young, and Liberty, you would look me dead in my eyes, not even blink, and say, Texas A&M had a trash schedule. They didn't play anyone. And you know what? You'd be right. But you'd also be hypocritical because you'd be making an argument against a Power 5 team using the same schedule that you'd be using in favor of the G5 team. It's a different standard that's used in the college football playoff conversation. It's very subconscious in nature. And it's only because you're trying to make it comport with this larger worldview you have of keeping the little guy down over here. It's not that. Apply the same standard and you'll realize college football is very unequal. There is no amount of readjusting the postseason that's going to inject more equity, at least to the point where the Coastal Carolinas of the world could ever compete on the same field with the Texas A&Ms of the world. And therefore, we need to really adopt my mentality of getting ourselves a G5 playoff and a Power 5 playoff. And then we can really start talking about how to fix college football's postseason. I promised myself, producer Jordan, is he's editing this right now. I promised him and myself I wouldn't allow myself to get worked up over playoff conversation this morning, and yet it happened. And it was voluntary. That's the most embarrassing part. Nothing in the question had to do with the playoff. Brandon didn't even mention the playoff, and yet I did it to myself. And here's the other big error that I just made. Uh, this is pretty egregious. So I got a question coming up. 
from Henry that has to do with the very team that I just chose to use in a hypothetical scenario. So it's going to sound like all of a sudden I'm tilting this entire show this morning to one program, and I'm not. I should have just looked ahead at the questions that are coming. So if you want to hear my royal screw-up, it's coming in the question that will be presented right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So here we go. Henry asks, I caught your late kick about Texas A&M. How about that? A&M. Have we talked about them lately? And Jimbo Fisher. And I had a question. I agree with your oven versus microwave analogy, by the way. You mentioned the people you know saying Texas a and not going to be there any longer. They're a flash in the pan, etc. In your opinion, why do people think that? Henry, they think that because some people have to see it to believe it. It's that simple. Texas A&M has not won the SEC. They have not won the SEC West. They have not been in the playoff. And so it doesn't matter that I could look at them and say, yeah, but they have all the tools in place that it takes to be that. Just because they haven't been that doesn't mean they can't be that. A lot of people have to see it to believe it. And I understand that. That's pretty commonsensical, to be honest with you. I get that. If Texas A&M had a longstanding reputation of being a perennial contender, that'd be one thing. But this has been one of the most underachieving college football programs in America over the past several decades. I mean, I've always believed that. Like, I've always believed they are the sleeping giant in college football. I don't think they're sleeping anymore, but I still don't think people are ready to take them as a serious college football playoff contender. I think the other part of that, whether anyone will be honest about it or not, is everyone knows which division they play in. And so everyone knows Alabama's there every single year. And that's before we even... Talk about the notion that Auburn could be good any given year or LSU could be good any given year. Plus, you got to play teams from the East. But you've got Alabama there. And so at the very beginning, at the very starting point, it's viewed as a non-starter. The concept of Texas A&M being a contender, it's viewed as a non-starter because I think in most minds, Texas A&M being a contender has to comport with Alabama not being a contender. Now, in reality, it doesn't have to work out that way. But I think for broad strokes preseason purposes, That's how most minds would work there. I mean, you're not getting over Alabama, and if you don't get over them, you're not going to the playoff. So I think it would either be Nick Saban retiring or Jimbo Fisher actually pulling an upset and winning the SEC. That's what would have to happen before folks were ready to perennially take them seriously. Now, I'm already there. I'm already taking them seriously. I don't have to see it happen in order to believe it could happen. And you asked in the question there, Henry, and let me reiterate, he he said, you know, I liked how you phrased it as an oven versus a microwave analogy. I want stuff that's been cooked in the oven whenever I can get it. Just like I want a football program where time has been taken and it's been built a right way, because that's a lot more sustainable. 
You've seen flash in the pan overnight microwave type successes before where you get a team that pops and then the very next year they're eight and four again. And then they're three and nine again. I mean, that kind of stuff has happened before. Auburn football has done that. I mentioned Auburn. Auburn's been that. Auburn's had a couple of microwave seasons that weren't really built on a firm foundation that sets you up for long-term sustained success. Jimbo Fisher has obviously built his infrastructure. They've got immaculate facilities, all that, all the physical infrastructures in place. Finances will never be a problem there, but here's what else they've done. He's built the organizational model the right way. He's modeled a lot of what they've built there after what Alabama has. And they've also recruited in a lot the same strategy that major programs like Alabama or Ohio State do. They've built lines of scrimmage. They were really good. You watched their offensive line last year. Anytime your offensive line has a nickname, it's probably doing okay. And so they've built lines of scrimmage. They've built depth there. They've got to get the quarterback figured out. And once they do, all of a sudden, people are going to look at Texas A&M and say, oh, man, who knew they were just one quarterback away from being a college football playoff team? Well, I don't think it's that hard to see. You just got to use your imagination a little bit. Jimbo Fisher's already been there before. There's no guesswork as to whether Jimbo Fisher can build a winner or even win at all. He's done it before. A lot of these other folks have been hired, and you think they can't. Like, you think Lincoln Riley can win a national title. I know Jimbo Fisher can because he already has. So I take him every bit as serious as a lot of these other head coaches. I'm not knocking any of them. I'm telling you I put Jimbo Fisher at the same table as I do some of the others. Like, Nick Saban's got his own table. But by and large, outside of Saban, if I'm talking about Ryan Day or I'm talking about Lincoln Riley or I'm talking about Kirby Smart or I'm talking about even Dabo Swinney, I mean, you guys could argue he belongs at a different table too. That's fine. I think Dabo would have a little bit harder time had he been in the same division as Nick Saban all these years. But I put Jimbo Fisher at that table right along with those guys. In terms of what I project over the next five to seven years, I think Texas A&M will be right there. All right, let's move on to Matthew's question. This was a pretty good one. He said, what are some schools that have a difficult time recruiting because of the geographical seclusion of the school itself? This is a good one, Matthew. So there are a lot of answers here, but I had a few that I wanted to circle. Now, Matthew mentioned Texas Tech in his question as an example. That's a really good one. Lubbock, Texas and Austin, Texas are in the same state. And that will conclude the list of similarities between Austin, Texas and Lubbock, Texas. You could fit like three Mississippis between those cities. That's how far apart they are. Texas, as they like to say, is its own country. Well, it is. If you've ever ridden a Greyhound bus across the entire state of Texas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I once rode a bus from Columbus, Georgia to Lubbock, Texas and back. We had a church mission trip out there. Vandalia, I want to say, was the church in Lubbock. And we rode out there and man, that was the longest year and a half of my life, it seems. Felt like I was on the Oregon Trail. Felt like I was going to get dysentery and my little wagon was going to lose its wheel at any second. So Texas Tech certainly is one of those. I think Missouri belongs on this list. Think about relativity now. If Missouri were in the MAC, it would be a different story. Missouri is in the SEC. So they're trying to compete against the University of Florida. Think about the disadvantage. Missouri competing against Georgia and Florida. They are in Missouri, Columbia, Missouri, obviously. you got to go a long, long way before you start bumping into some high school talent, the likes of which you need to be able to recruit and land to compete with those big boys. Washington State is another one in Pullman, Washington. And you may think if you're a Southern fan or if you're a, a East Coast fan, you may think, hey, West Coast is West Coast. Well, that's first off not true. It's very different being on the coast of, let's say, Oregon versus being on the Southern California coast. It's different being on the coast of Northern California than it is on the coast of Southern California. But coast is irrelevant. Let's not even use the word coast here. 
Pullman, Washington is a long way from the West Coast. Pullman, Washington is on the other side of the state. Before the podcast, I mapped out how long it would take to drive from the campus of Washington State to the Pacific Ocean. You know how long it would take? Six hours and 11 minutes. That's 375 miles. To give you an idea of how long that is, it would take me sitting in Nashville, Tennessee, about the same amount of time to drive to the Gulf Coast. That's Mobile, Alabama. So Nashville to Mobile is the same distance as it is in Washington State to drive from the campus to the Pacific Ocean. So that's not even close. And so it's really hard to get kids to come to rural Washington. That's in the easternmost portion of Washington. That's a tough one. I mean, when you're being asked to compete against Southern Cal or the Arizona schools, UCLA, that should be very, very hard. Now, Washington State's had themselves some success But if programs in Southern California and Arizona, if those schools are doing what they're supposed to, you shouldn't really be able to compete there. So it's really a testament to the way they've run the program that they have been able to compete. Another one that I talked about the other day, and I'll talk about again, is Penn State. Now, Penn State has a track record of success. But if you look really at the dynamics geographically there, that's not an easy place to get to. That's one of the first things people talk about inside college football when you mention Ann Arbor, Columbus, and then you mentioned State College, it's a tough place to get to. A lot of folks at Penn State, they get aggravated when some of these players that they think they should land in the recruiting game, they don't land them. And sometimes through back channels, that's the feedback you get is it's just kind of more isolated geographically from what maybe the players found appealing about the bigger city atmosphere of maybe a Columbus, Ohio um, now, you know, that's not sometimes that's excuse making. Sometimes it may be sour grapes, but I think other times there's some validity to that. So Penn State, Texas Tech, Missouri, Washington State, those are really the four I came up with. And it's college football. So there are programs all over the place. So you could come up with several more. Quick reminder, Late Kick Live tonight. We have got a lot to talk about. We got the Tennessee mess. We're going deep on that. I'm doing more mood tracker segments tonight. Stay tuned for the programs that will be featured. I'll probably talk about some Pac-12, Larry Scott, where they're going to go next. And we'll see what kind of numbers that that video does. I can look. I can see concurrent viewership. That just means how many people are tuned in live. And I always go back and look. And it's very interesting to see where the peaks and dips in our live streams are. Uh, That just means what the audience is interested in more than other things the audience is interested in. So really good research we can do there. As for this morning, I think that about wraps it up. Remember, fill the inbox so we can load these shows up next week. JoshPate706 at gmail.com or on Twitter at LateKickJosh and follow me there anyway, whether you're going to submit a question or not. All right, for Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening this morning. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. Sunday after the equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So so. So so. So so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after the equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.